The following podcast is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and frank sexual content. This is the Heart of Jacks podcast. The friendliest Jacks of all, not mincing words, and talking consent with Sars Cermic. I'm Paul Rosenberg, and this is episode five of the Heart of Jacks podcast. Brought to you by me and supported by the Seattle Erotic Art Festival presenting CIF 2020, the pandemic edition. Get your tickets at seattleerotic.org. This show is also made possible by people like you, patrons through Patreon. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. Hey, it's Paul. A few years ago, I visited a jack-off club in an unlikely spot, the crux of Arkansas and Oklahoma, very much the Bible Belt. The hotel where AOK Jacks hosted their event was between a Hobby Lobby and a Golden Corral, and the men who showed up there drove, on average, over two hours to attend what was, by far, the single friendliest group masturbation party I've ever experienced, either before or since. It was there that I was introduced to the Jacks Handshake, a practice of reaching down, wrapping one's hand around a fellow's dick, and giving a friendly squeeze as you said hello. Now, I learned a long time ago that visiting other cultures means allowing people to be as they are and suspending all judgment, even as my liberal West Coast homo sensibilities went reflexively on high alert. In blue, blue Seattle, we are not only less demonstrably friendly to strangers— But the gays tend to be even more on guard, and more than a little elitist about whom they deem worthy of interaction. You may have heard of the Seattle Freeze. It's an actual thing, and it's one major reason you will not find me in a gay bar. Still, I personally love it when strangers lay their hands on my naked body, and I was all in from the get-go, while noting that this would probably not fly in most of the places I hang out, or most of the places you hang out, I imagine. And yes, it's a jack-off club. If you've never been to one, you might think that just grabbing another guy's dick was common practice, but you'd be only partly right. The great majority of jack-off clubs encourage or even require that members check in with the owner of any random penis before taking matters in hand. New York Jack says, Some guys get turned off if you grab the goodies without knowing if they want to play. Portland, Oregon's Stumptown Stroke gently says, We ask our attendees to inquire first before touching another person. Melbourne Wankers simply says, with characteristic lack of ambiguity, no force. Seattle's own Rain City Jack states bluntly, consent is required before touching another member's penis. No minced words there. And I should know, I wrote it. The fact that I wrote that should tell you a little something about where I personally come down on all this. I think that you should ask before touching anyone's genitals even in a jack-off club, where intimate touch is one of the top reasons anyone shows up in the first place. Our custom is to ask first, and we even offer a specific, straightforward approach. Ask by saying, may I? Now, I'm also aware of a custom that's been handed from club to club that's less verbal, as in, totally silent. One simply moves an open hand close to a seemingly available penis, looks up with pleading puppy-dog eyes and waits until the new friend puts his penis into one's waiting hand. Because so many of us can't muster the two-word minimum of, may I? Fine, I say, as long as consent is clear, have at it. It works well either way. But 
That difficulty we have just squeezing out two tiny words to ask consent? This has always fascinated me. The struggle that we have with basic communication and, on the other side, the respect and honor that we grant and gain by engaging our partners in consent. It's a thing. Maybe not just here in the USA, but definitely here. So let's talk about consent. My conversation with Sar Sarsermic is next. This episode of the Heart of Jack's podcast is sponsored by the Seattle Erotic Art Festival, celebrating and cultivating sexuality through the arts. The Seattle Erotic Art Festival, also known as SEIF, supports the creation and purchase of erotic art while providing space for community and conversations around sexuality. This year, they are proud to host SEIF 2020, the pandemic edition, where their large annual festival has been divided into three SEIFsums. Each SEIFsum is different and includes everything you love and expect from SEIF. All the visual art will be shown at Gallery Irato in Seattle's Pioneer Square Arts District. Gallery Irato is following the King County Health Department's COVID-19 guidelines for museums so that you can browse the art and festival stores safely. All of the performances, art tours, talks, and literary readings will be held virtually on the Zoom platform. For tickets and more information about SEIF 2020, the pandemic edition, visit seattleerotic.org. That's seattleerotic.org. My guest today is Sar Sermic. He is the director of the Consent Academy. Sar brought the Consent Academy together in 2016 as a way to advance consent education in Seattle and across the world. With over 20 years of education experience and a strong belief that consent creates a backbone for safe and productive interactions, SAR has worked with a variety of organizations to promote and educate about consent. As a pansexual, genderqueer, and polyamorous kinkster, SAR has had decades of experience both in and working with sex-positive communities. When not directing the academy, SAR works as a marriage and family therapist specializing in identity, a sex-positive educator, and a writer. SAR Sermic, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. So what is the Consent Academy? Um, essentially, the S Consent Academy is a educational collective. We're based here in Seattle. And our goal is to teach consent across the widest possible concept and venue. And like, our goal is to teach about consent as a whole. And we do that through a variety of different methods. Uh, we put on our own workshops. We do consultations for organizations and other places hire us to come in and teach about consent for them. Uh, you said it's a collective. How many people are involved with this? Currently, uh, we have about 16 volunteers and a few other people who help out occasionally here and there as well. We try to work very much as bringing our whole diverse voice into the concept of consent. So it's not just my ideas, it's not just my education. We try to really pull together from large multidisciplinary settings. So I work as a therapist. Um, my original training is in education. I used to be a seventh grade English teacher. But we've also had people who have backgrounds in sociology and social work and public health, coaching, other educators, it just as many different voices and concepts as we can to, to really make our concept of consent robust. Uh, what moved you to create it in the first place? <laughs> 
mostly uh, I had started teaching consent back in, I want to say 2012, 2011, something in that, that range. And it started out pretty small. Um, I was teaching with the Paneros Foundation, uh, then was the Foundation for Sex Positive Culture. Um, and we were doing sort of this every other month free workshop around consent uh, for the CSPC before we would do it on Thursday nights before their dance. And it just sort of, it was going along, it was going along. And then other people started asking for it. Like, oh, you teach that. Could you teach it for us? I'm like, sure, I love to teach. Uh, and then uh, more and more people kept asking. And it was getting to the point where it, it became very clear to me that there was no way for me to do it alone. And it also became clear to me in talking to a bunch of people about it that my concept was limited. And so back in 2016, I got together our first group, which is 10 of us. And we sort of sequestered ourselves in a basement for like a whole day and hammered out our base theories and then went to work creating curriculum. So it was basically born out of necessity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so w what is the problem that Consent Academy is trying to address? Or is there just one problem? Are there multiple <laughs> issues that it's trying to work with? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. I mean, the main problem we're trying to address is that not enough people understand what consent is. Too many people think about consent as only an issue around sex or only an issue for certain populations. And that's not how we build a consent culture. So our, our main goal is to promote consent culture in sex positive organizations, in business organizations, in schools, really uh, across the board. Our, our tagline is we teach consent from the bedroom to the boardroom. So we're, what we're really trying to do is build consent culture through helping people understand what consent is so they can apply it to their own life. When you mentioned the boardroom, I'm reminded of uh, years ago, I worked at Starbucks and I was a manager and had to have a certain amount of training. And when you say consent to someone in corporate culture, it always is about sexual harassment. Right. Um, that people are learning about consent specific to protecting the company and protecting themselves and protecting their coworkers uh, from sexual harassment. Uh, yeah. But it's so I think that's kind of the general way that a lot of people are looking at what consent means. But it sounds like you have a much more expansive, uh, all inclusive view of where consent fits in our lives. Yeah, we, we like to think of consent as a daily practice. So it's not just about that moment when you have to get a yes or no from somebody. It's thinking of other people as autonomous human beings, right? It, it's thinking about people who, like everybody you meet in your life gets to choose what's right and best for them. And consent is the practice that goes along with that. So when you make a request of somebody, even if it's a simple one, hey, can you get the door for me? Right. They consent to do that or not. And especially in corporate culture, getting people to understand that consent isn't just about sexual harassment, although we usually start there because that's a great in uh, for teaching. We, we expand it to can you stay late? Right. Do you have a moment? Can I interrupt you? All of these little pieces where you're actually asking for somebody's consent, but not thinking about it in that way. 
So uh, I'm curious, uh, was there an event in your life that moved you into this work? Not a really like crystallized event. Obviously, I've you know, in the course of my life, I've I've had my consent violated. Um, I've violated other people's consent. It's not we, we tend to think of it as this either or kind of framework. And the reality is, is that everybody both upholds and violates consent most days, if not daily, depending on how many people you see in the course of your day. No, what really what really got it for me is when I started teaching it and just realizing both how limited my concept was when I started teaching it and then realizing how where I felt my concept was terribly limited and then teaching it to people who were still in this. Well, I asked if it was OK and they said yes. So it was fine. <laughs> um, like my concept felt limited. And then a lot of the people I was teaching with. Right. Their concept was even way more limited than mine. And like, there's so much here to look at. Uh, and I just kind of got enthralled. The Heart of Jack's podcast was created to support work on my new book, The Heart of Jack's, The History and Culture of Jackoff Clubs, which, as the title implies, recounts the history of the Jackoff Club phenomenon revealing its true origins and telling, in their own words, the stories of the men who built it into a community long before the term safe sex was part of the common vernacular. You can support my work on this book, pulling together hundreds of bits of fading ephemera and dozens of hours of interviews and focus groups with the founders, managers, volunteers, and members of the Jacks in a growing list of cities, including... New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Orlando, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, London, Paris, Munich, Melbourne, and more. For your support, you will receive weekly updates on my progress, because hello, accountability, as well as early access to this podcast, which will be forever ad-free to my Patreon supporters. Join me as a patron and become part of this one-of-a-kind history at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. That's patreon.com slash the heart of Jacks and help power this project to completion. One more time, go to patreon.com slash the heart of Jacks and thank you for supporting this podcast. Who, uh, who benefits most from learning about consent? Um, every human being and the people, animals, plants, earth that they interact with. <laughs> I, I really think that it, it's not just getting or, you know, it's not just getting consent when you want something. I think we benefit from the whole concept of both giving and receiving consent. It makes us safer as human beings. It makes our relationships better. Uh, it allows us more room for authenticity in our life and really, really hones and strengthens the connections we have with other people. So across the board, everybody benefits. In, you know, in my own life, I've found that explicit consent has really added to the erotic charge of my own sex play. And it's given me a greater sense of personal agency. Is that um, is that typical? I think so. Although I think there's an adjustment period for most people. Uh, the moving from like implicit consent, especially around sex, where, you know, I, I make like raised eyebrows at you and make some sort of sexy noise and gesture and 
you smile and nod and that's consent. <laughs> very nonverbal, very implicit. But moving to explicit consent where you can be like, hey, I really want to do insert sexy thing here. I really want to have that erotic moment with you. Are you good with that? Is that something you want too? Right now we have a connection. Now we have a space where uh, we both want the same thing and we can engage in it and enter into it from a space of, hey, this is really cool and amazing and I can let myself go a little bit more. I think for me, when I found that very same thing, like this makes me feel better in my sexual activity was that I just felt safer. Like I knew the other person wanted what I was doing and I knew that they knew that I wanted what they were doing. And all of a sudden it was like, I could let go. I didn't have to worry all the time. I didn't have to spend so many brain cycles going, am I sure this is what they want? Is this okay? You know, what if I do it this way? Oh, they flinched a little bit. What does that mean? Right. Just stepping into that greater space of like, oh, I get it. I know. And they'll tell me if I'm doing it wrong. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about the uh, the nonverbal cues, uh, the raised mm -hmm. eyebrows, et cetera, it, it occurs to me that um, it occurs to me that part of our problem around consent is just our problem with being able to talk about sex with, with just to use yeah. words in relation to how, how much do you think that resistance to consent is a byproduct of that reluctance? I think it's a, a very large one that you know, we're, we're sort of taught that sex is this taboo thing, especially as children, and it sticks with us. The the idea that I can't just say, hey, I want to suck your cock or I want somebody to suck mine or, hey, do this. Right. Tie me up, whatever. It takes practice to get there. And I, I think most people, when they try, they just sort of go. Ah. And there's this silence like, oh, what I really I can't even get out the word want. They're like, well, want sort of, <laughs> um, or, you know, people use words like, hey, it would be nice. Like it would be nice if, you know, or, you know, or they go the, to the far end, right? Where they just, and this is more common among men, right? Where they just act and hope that it's okay. And so, yeah, it's that that sense of I can be a sexual being and it's OK to be a sexual being. It's OK to be a sexual person. It's OK to want sex and have specific needs and desires that I can then express to the person I'm being sexual with. And that should be a good thing, not a weird or strange or uncomfortable thing. That really that really clarifies the link between a sex negative upbringing and our impairment around consent, that if it's not OK to just to just say what you want or to say that you want, then obviously it's going to be difficult to get consent for it. And if it's something that yeah. you really deeply want, then uh, d deeply need, then you're going to find a way around that inability to communicate. Yeah. And sometimes that that inability to communicate and the, the way around that creates harm for other people. And then we get to feel shame for breaking someone's consent as well as for not being clear. Right. And then the shame builds on the initial taboo. And then you have even less ability to talk about it because anytime it comes up, you feel ashamed of the thing you did in the past. And now you can't talk about it more. And yeah, it just snowballs in a really negative way.
You, you talked about how men um, have a, have different ways of working uh, around consent, about assuming consent. Um, how, what, what are some of the ways that men and women differ in how they experience consent or don't? Um, I mean, that's... Uh... That, that would be a three-hour workshop all on its own, if if not a semester's-long course. Maybe, maybe just um, the top line. Just the top line. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the, the biggest thing when we look at men and women, and then the complexity that we add when we add in trans folk and non-binary folk and, and other pieces, is the levels of privilege and oppression. And so I think the primary thing there is that boys are often raised to be doers, to be actors, that they act upon the world. And girls and young women are often raised to be acted upon. They are they're raised to be done to and respond to being done to. And I think as we get older, especially as we go through puberty and adolescence, that puts us in this place of you, you get men are doers and women are done too. So women's experience is that their consent is violated over and over and over and over again. And it creates this place of very, you know, it creates a greater level of awareness. Men, because they're often doing, or at least in their brains, they are the doers. They don't even sometimes perceive being done to by other people. Get into this place of, well, I'm doing it. I have to ask for consent, but mine's fine, right? I'm I'm perfectly fine. People don't have to ask me for consent. <laughs> and it creates this weird dichotomy that you can go back, especially if you look at like movies from the 80s and 90s of this totally nonverbal, pushy space where men do and women first say no and then say yes. Those are the movies I grew up on. <laughs> or, or the song, uh, uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Yeah, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Uh, but this idea that that men are the people who have to ask and women are the people who have to give or withhold consent is that dichotomy in and of itself creates a power differential that limits the ability of consent to be used. That's the that's the two minute high level. <laughs> I can see how this could go on for a few hours, <laughs> and perhaps sometime we'll do that. Um, it, it now since I run a jack off club and I've been to so many jack off clubs. Um, yeah. The level of assumed consent that I experience uh, from one club to another it varies a little bit. Uh, by region, uh, just local custom, uh, the, the, the way people are in uh, Philadelphia or Los Angeles or San Francisco is going to vary from London or Chicago, Seattle. Um, there's There are some cultural differences, but it seems like the overall way that men interact with other men in these situations is there's an assumption that you can just reach over and grab another guy's dick. And uh, this... Just personally, this kind of rubbed me the wrong way. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, the puns are everywhere. I just let them roll. Uh, but um, it, it, so when I when I set up my club, I wanted to specifically call out that you have to remember that the dick belongs to the guy that it's connected to, that it's growing out of, and that yeah. he is in charge of it. And he gets to say yes or no, and you have to give him a chance to say yes or no. So we explicitly uh, tell people in new member orientation, you have to ask before you grab somebody's dick. You can't just be a kid in a candy store because it's not your candy. <laughs> I like that. So it, it brought up for me the idea 
that men with men um, are going to approach consent differently than women with men or women with women. Often, yes. But there's an assumption. Yeah. Go on. Well, I think the, the big piece there is that there's this assumption that men don't have to ask for consent, which translates to right, it's the projection of you don't have to give me consent. Right. You can tell me no or you can show me no. Um, but if I reach out and grab you and you don't do anything about it, then that's consent. Right. That's your yes. The assumption that the absence of a no is a yes. Um, and that gets extremely risky in, because sometimes people just freeze. I've seen this, I'm sure you have too, especially guys who are new to a jack-off club or an all-gay male event. Somebody comes up and does something and their their first reaction isn't, oh, this is great. Their first reaction is, don't hurt me. <laughs> right? Their first reaction is to just freeze and be completely still. And the other person then takes that as a scent. And then it gets to an uncomfortable point and something needs to stop. Yeah, right. And then people get upset. Or what I think is even worse is that the person who's feeling uncomfortable goes through with it and then never comes back, right? And then we lose community members because we couldn't just say, hey, I love your cock, you know, can I grab it? <laughs> right? Like, like the person may still freeze, but then they haven't given a yes, so I don't reach out and grab it. <laughs> It seems simple, um, but especially I think when you get when you're in the candy store, it's like this is amazing and I'm horny and I want all of these things. Look at these amazing people. And I think also sometimes it's look at this amazing thing I can do. I can express my identity in a way that I can't in other places. And, and that excitement and arousal and horniness just sort of turns off the part of the brain that's like, Oh, yeah, you're a person, too, not just a part of my fantasy. See, to me, that question, may I, is in itself erotically charged, that it's it doesn't take away from it. It actually adds to the energy. Yeah. And I try to communicate that to new members, that it's not a bad thing to say, may I, before you grab somebody's cock, that it's it's actually really hot. Yeah. Well, and I think even just you can like add things like you know, I love the look of you. Like, that's an amazing cock. Like, can I touch it? Like you're, you're giving that, that space where the person feels special and wanted, and usually they will just get all the more hard <laughs> for somebody expressing appreciation of them. Um, so, uh, because there is this assumption of consent among men or that it's theirs to be refused because men are doers and men with men have a different dynamic than men with women. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that there's um, an assumption on the part of gay men that consent is for women, that it, it's not an important issue for them at all? that they can just ignore it. And that if somebody says, oh, you should get consent again, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I think it often starts there because I think that's sort of the, the larger cultural assumption that you know men ask and women give or withhold. And, and that you can look going back hundreds of years, that, that dichotic assumption. But I so I think in our modern culture, just that that base idea that that boys and young men get raised with 
means like there's no script for men acting with men, right? It's like, I have this other script. So either I have to put the person I'm interacting with in the place of the woman in my cultural concept, or I treat them as another man, which is what I want, right? <laughs> if I'm interacting with another man and I, I want that, that sexual charge that comes with that, like I want to be with another man. So then that script just goes right out the window. And you fumble around and uh, you make mistakes and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But again, I think especially for the clubs and the, you know, the places that that men go to to start their journey, their identity around being homosexual or wanting other men sexually or whatever it is that they're looking for. I like I said before, I think we really just lose too many from this negative interaction that starts it. And that doesn't that doesn't benefit our community. I think you also get yeah, I think you also get into this problem of where people are then trying to enforce the cultural norm on a non-normative situation, right? And it puts one person in the femme or feminine role, right? That's just misogyny. It, it, it's misogyny that is placed on another guy. <laughs> and that that's not healthy either. It's not healthy for either person in that interaction. One of the things I like about the Jacks um, in general, and I've heard this from men uh, across the spectrum who, who I've interviewed over the years is that they like that there are no tops and bottoms, that it's very lateral, that the power structure in a jack-off club eliminates the dominant submissive role. So you're starting out from a more even place. Um, and I, I, I definitely like that very much. I like having mm -hmm. that responsibility lifted off of me as a, as a gay man. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've spent a lot more time in the BDSM clubs where there is, there's often this power differential and definitely watched where you get two very dominant men who are trying to size each other up and figure out who's more dominant. And it, it looks like a nature documentary, like <laughs> two gorillas in the forest, two rams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that power differential and the attempt to impose the power differential also has a, a negative impact on consent. It's really interesting. I think I want to explore that in the future, just that difference between the specific uh, uh, dom-sub culture and the explicit lateral culture. Yeah. You know, how they... No, I think that'd be fascinating. How they different, how they, how they maybe mirror each other in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. We're just about out of time. What has surprised you about this work? So many things have surprised me about this work. I'm sure. Um, I, I'm sure you've experienced this before. You know how when you get deep into a subject and you you like bury yourself in it and learn everything you can about it, and then you talk to somebody who's never encountered the concept before, <laughs> and you're just like, doesn't everybody understand these things? <laughs> I think what's really surprised me the most, though, is how much fear there is out there in the world about doing it right, that there's so much fear around how do I get consent? How do I get consent the right way? Like people in our, you know, in our 2020 age, people in the 21st century are in this place where it's being more known, it's being more understood, and they're just really scared about, am I going to be able to do it in a way that's right? Am I going to be able to do it in a way that's sexy? Am I going to ruin the mood if I'm trying to be sexual? How do I do it with my kids? Right? There's just sort of this, this deep understanding that we're not taught how to do it, and so we don't get it in a lot of ways. And then and then the fear comes from that, like, well, if I don't know how to do it, then I'm going to do it wrong. 
And for some people, that means they're just like, well, fuck it. I, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna try, right? And for other people, they get they get kind of paralyzed around it, and so it makes it even harder to talk about that shame that we that we talked about earlier. And and when I see that, it I guess it doesn't surprise me as much as it makes me sad, and and pushes me even further to like, okay, education is it's not the only piece around consent that's needed. But it's it's my piece. It's it's the consent academy's piece, and it's so necessary just to bring people into this idea that they can do it. Right, the consent is possible, and it's beautiful and it's helpful, and it really really makes a difference in the world. If somebody wants to explore further, uh, expanding the work in their area in their in in their part of the world, um, yeah, I assume they can reach out to you. Absolutely. Um, you can reach out to us through our website, which is just www.consent.academy. Um, we have a book called The Consent Primer, Foundations for Everyday Life. Uh, that's available on Amazon. Uh, and it's a great way to get, uh, we call it The Consent Primer because it's it's the first book, right? It's here's the basic concepts that we want people to know about consent. Um, and so it's a great place to start in really digging into some of the complexity, um, but in a way that is accessible. So we, we, we wrote it as a workbook. So you can go through and answer questions and try some things out and get some exercises to do. Um, and yeah, for the Consent Academy, uh, visit us on the website, shoot out an email. Uh, like I said earlier, we we teach for groups, so we'll come in and teach consent for a group. And we also do sort of trainer trainings where we'll we'll train people how to talk about consent for their group. And that's in addition to the workshops that we put on ourselves, uh, which you can find on the website as well. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. I Thank you for having me. I love having this type of discussion. It's been great having you. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Absolutely. There's so much more. <laughs> I want to thank Sar Sermic for being my guest today. You can find the Consent Academy online with a dot by going to consent.academy. Also, I wholeheartedly recommend that you check out the book, The Consent Primer, Foundations for Everyday Life, which he co-authored. Links are in the show notes. As always, I want to hear your thoughts, and you can reach me a couple of ways. Email me or send a voice memo to podcast at theheartofjacks.com. Or you can call 206-580-3120. The Heart of Jack's Podcast. Written and produced by me and sponsored by the Seattle Erotic Art Festival. Presenting CEIF 2020, the Pandemic Edition. Learn more and get your tickets at seattleerotic.org. This show is also supported by people like you. Patrons through Patreon. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. Theme music is Carousellophane by Jake Bradford Sharp. Podcast distribution by Simplecast at simplecast.com. Until next time, that is the Heart of Jacks podcast. I'm Paul Rosenberg. Ooh, spicy.